Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of Network Like a Pro, where I go about exploring the heart of our professional world through the power of networking. In this episode, I stopped Magnus Humbleton for a conversation about his life's journey and his life's work. I saw Magnus on stage talking about innovation and communities. After a brief conversation and a change of contact, I asked Magnus if he would be interested for a podcast episode, to which he happily agreed on. Little did I know, Magnus has a wealth of experience and knowledge. He's currently working in a venture capital firm called ByFounder, which has a portfolio of over 50 companies. So without further ado, I'll let Magnus take the stage. All right, Magnus, take it away. Yeah, so I mean, I'm I'm originally Swedish. Mm-hmm. I grew up in Sweden, but my dad is from New Zealand. Mm-hmm. And so after high school, when I was 19, I moved to Australia. Mm-hmm. It's easier to study in Australia. Yeah, I hear that. Going to New Zealand, the citizenship. Yeah. Uh-huh. And then I yeah studied there for five years in the West Coast in Perth. Uh, I, I also started like a co-working space and startup incubator. Wow. In my university. It's like for, for students and for people. For people. students and for people. Yeah, okay. A little bit like SSE Business Labs here in Stockholm, but much more early. Like much more. Mm. No, they're quite big, actually. Mm-hmm. Time so you were original founder? Or? Yes, so me and I, me and a friend uh, founded it. It was mm-hmm. really fun. Mm-hmm. We came out of a university entrepreneurship kind of club, and then we just made it into an incubator, like a co-working space. Is that of co-working space yeah. slash incubator. Yeah, like. Okay. Mm-hmm. And then I joined a uh, Boston Consulting Group as a management consultant for a few years mm-hmm. in Sydney, and then in Switzerland for a year. Mm-hmm. And then I I left them and joined a startup here in Stockholm called Natural Cycles. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I heard about yeah. Natural Cycles. Yeah, femtech company. Yeah. But I led the data team and a product team uh, mm-hmm. during most of my time there, all my time there. And the last two years I was there, I also started working maybe forty percent of my time on uh, a, like uh, teaching myself uh, machine learning with Python, mm-hmm. and then building and training a neural network to kind of switch out some parts of the uh, core fertility algorithm to work out where ovulation happens more effectively. Wow! Uh, using neural networks, which is really fun. Mm-hmm. And then I was uh, yeah, I left uh, them at the summer last year. And uh, joined ByFounder. ByFounder's after summer, which was the end of August. So mm-hmm. with uh, ByFounder's for almost a year and a half now. So what got you to join ByFounders? Yeah, so just I was actually going to start as a CPO of another medtech startup, mm-hmm. uh, but I basically just threw out a spontaneous application and, and went through the process and mm-hmm. just fell in love with the team uh, completely. Like, oh, with the ByFounders? Yeah, super, okay. super strong. So the the history of the fund is like we've been around since uh, 2017. Like mm-hmm. as I said before, I like started by. A couple of Danish entrepreneurs. Mm-hmm. Eric was one of the early Skype guys, and then we first employed a Danish unicorn called TradeShift. Mm-hmm. And then he started his own startup that moved to Silicon Valley and ended up getting sold to HP after a few years. Uh, and Tommy, the other friendly partner, is also like a serial entrepreneur. Most recent company he started was called Libratone, which became quite big. Mm-hmm. And they uh, did like Bluetooth speakers and headphones. So you're Bluetooth speakers, speakers yeah. Okay. yeah. And they got sold to a big company as well, early 2010s kind of thing. Mm. And so they started the, the fund with this uh, aspect of just being, this approach of being like super founder first, right? Mm. Which, which sounds generic, but I think the the uh, the difference is it's very like, it's actually very, very hands-on and practical. Mm. And so we have this uh, thing we call the collective, which mm-hmm. is like, 65 uh, unicorn founders and, and early operators uh, from the region. Five uh, unicorn founders in... And early operators. So some of the early people there were the founders mm-hmm. and they're like uh, all very tied to the fund. So most of them are invested in the fund and they get a really good deal. They don't don't pay much. Uh, they don't pay any uh, like uh, fees or anything like that. Mm-hmm. And in return, they sign this pledge. So they, they, they invest their own money into the fund. Yes. Yes. I mean, relatively small tickets. So they don't make up the majority of our, our mm-hmm. funds. I think the majority of most of our funds come from traditional LPs. 
but the, the main way that they, they they get this deal and in return they kind of um, sign this pledge that they're going to help out. So they help us find startups, they help us uh, figure out which startups to invest in, mm-hmm. they sit on the boards on a bunch of our startups. Sorry. Yeah, of course. LP is a new term. What is no, LP is a limited partner. So limited partner. The VC has a has limited partners they call which are investors in the VC fund. Mm-hmm. Okay, so th- these LPs, uh, limited partners, they they are the major investors. Yeah, so you basically call this is like um, yeah, the inside acronym. So, sorry, I get you. No, it's alright. It's alright. So, so I have like you know, a VC fund has what's called a general partner, which mm-hmm. is someone who works for the VC fund directly and is the one of the people who invest. Mm-hmm. And then they have limited partners, which are the ones that invest money, mm-hmm. they're called limited because they don't have any operational direct mm-hmm. work for the fund, but they have their money in the fund. Okay, so they basically that's interesting. So yeah. that's like a stakeholder, but they don't have any influence over. I mean, they they obviously have a bun- they always have influence, but in a different way, right? It's mm-hmm. been like uh, the relationship between a startup and the startup's investors. Mm-hmm. Okay, 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 okay. And so, what is your what is your motivation for being in the in the by founders like? Uh, yeah. So is it about being around the community? Is it about being around managing money? Is it about... Uh... I mean, mostly it's just about getting to meet and work with uh, like amazing founders. That's, uh, meet and work with amazing founders. And, and also, like I think the thing is, like I think over the last few decades in general, I think one is that VCs have become a little bit too good at marketing themselves and their money. So mm-hmm. I think that there is... I think in general, taking money from VCs is probably... On average, not the kind, not the thing that you should do as a founder. I think most mm-hmm. founders probably shouldn't take VC money mm-hmm. because and because I think there's lots of ways to build a company without taking VC money, mm-hmm. uh, and I think that the because they take equity, because they take equity, but also because they have expectations mm-hmm. and they're not always in line with what a founder wants. Right? Mm-hmm. A VC, a VC fund, the math of it basically doesn't really work unless you are expecting the founders to mm-hmm. want to get to a billion or ten billion dollar company. Mm-hmm. That's kind of the that's the outcome that people need to be aiming for. Okay. And a lot of the time, a founder is either not the type of person who wants to do that, or they don't have an idea where that really makes sense. Mm-hmm. And if if that is mis- fundamentally misaligned, mm-hmm. then I think it's like bad, both for the, uh, I mean, both for the founder and for the company mm-hmm. and for the success rate of it. Right. And you're gonna maybe end up scaling too fast and then not being able to raise money again. Yeah, it's like, can be super stressful, and it's not the kind of lifestyle you want to have as a founder and mm-hmm. th- that type of founder. So I think a lot of the time. It's like a misalignment then. Misalignment between the founders and... And the VCs, yeah. I think for sure. I mean, I think that's... Uh, and I think ultimately it comes down to the fact that I think that we have, in many ways, kind of defined success in the startup world to be that uh, you raise lots of money every and year. And that's what success Yeah, that's what success means. Uh-huh. Right? Well, I think there's a lot of ways to be more successful, but if you don't raise money every year, you're not going to be showing up in the newspapers as often. Mm-hmm. So raising money leads to being in newspapers, yeah. which is the success. Also, you raise money. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I mean, the the bootstrap companies that are worth more than a billion dollars, mm. a lot of people have never heard of until they raise VC money very late, right? Mm. I think like NordVPN is a great example. Of this. Have you heard of them? I heard about. So them. they've been famous for a while among consumers because they've done a lot of influencer marketing on YouTube. Mm. Like, like half of the YouTubers. Yeah. Have probably had them as sponsors at some point. A super mm. amazing company. They founded Tom Ackman. 
is one of the founders on the collective for example yeah. so he's also involved uh, in that way mm-hmm. and he's like a crazy amazing founder and that company is a crazy amazing success story mm-hmm. but i think in but the tech they never world, they never really raised no well they did recently so they raised they like, the first the first vc round they raised was last year mm-hmm. and then obviously that got published massively because they, they were already like a, the first round they raised was mm-hmm. in like a multi-billion dollar valuation because mm-hmm. they're super successful right yeah. but i think within the tech circle they haven't been known so well because of them not doing down that. Wow! Road. Even but even though they were well known between uh, among the customers, consumers, yes, yes, they were not known in the tech world. Yeah, I mean they were known probably within basically Lithuania, so they were known in that world mm-hmm. definitely. And I think uh, I just think they weren't as hyped up as probably would have they would have been mm-hmm. if they'd been raising VC money all the way down, right? Yeah, and, and I'm not saying they should have. Like I think they did a very good choice. I think mm-hmm. they went the right route for them. It's like I also think that. Uh, a lot of VCs missed all boats on the VPN mm-hmm. side of things. They never thought there was a VC case. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Ones. Anyway, okay. they're, they're a bit of a sidetrack. No, it's all right. So, um, yeah, why why go down the, why, why join ByFounders? So I think one is just like the fact that um, I think ByFounders is, is one of those funds that like is, is it legitimately feels like it's there to be adding value to people. Mm-hmm. So we don't want to invest in, in founders that are not going to be a good fit for the VC model to start off with. Mm-hmm. And then the founders that are fit for the VC model will be able to kind of fundamentally like help them by connecting them with other people that have already gone down that journey, right? Either from the that, collective. Or that's the, and that's the goal, the, to yeah. connect uh, the founders to the people who have walked the path. Exactly. So we call ourselves like a community-driven VC. So it's very much about building a community of, like, of founders that can all kind of work together. Fun. Yeah, that's fun. Yeah. That's very fun. Yeah. Tell me more about like, so what is the portfolio of... of uh, of companies that you guys manage, how many companies do you guys manage? Um, so or I think we've invested. I think we have about fifty-five-ish, fifty-five act- active companies, something like that. Like fifty-ish. Wow, that's a that's companies. a number of companies to manage. Yeah, sure. That's quite a lot. Yeah, that's quite a lot. And the beauty of the collective is that we uh-huh. we um, even though we're just tw- ten people, we don't get stretched super thin because we ultimately have the collective there also to help out, right? So collective is in so the the people that are these unicorn finders and the operators that are, that are that are involved in, in the fund, so mm-hmm. they're also there to help out in various ways. So they sit on the boards on our behalf and a bunch of companies. Mm-hmm. They have much more relevant expertise mm-hmm. a lot of the time, and so that kind of gives the leverage effect of uh, more better expertise and more people. And can you name me like some some uh, interesting companies that you're working yeah. currently with? Yeah, so I mean, here locally in Stockholm, uh, one of our most recent announced investments is a company called QA Tech, QA Tech. Uh, which is doing AI um, for automating QA testing. QA QA testing. So it's a QA stands for quality assurance, mm-hmm. and basically, whenever you have Basically, any company that reaches a certain size or any company that is within like a regulated sector mm-hmm. need to do QA testing on their uh, code when it's shipped. Yeah, so let's okay. say you have an app that you, whenever you update the app, mm-hmm. you need to make like go through a bunch of user flows to make sure that there's no bugs. Mm-hmm. Classic place that there can be bugs is like in the payment flow. Okay. If you're if you're an e-commerce store and you have a bug in your payment flow, then you could be losing like you know millions of dollars per day mm-hmm. potentially, depending on how big you are. Okay. So. You can't afford to have a bug there, yeah. which means that often it becomes economically valuable and worthwhile to actually have a human manually walk through every single time you ship a code and change to go through the payment flow and just check okay. if it works, right? So this is the uh, okay. So this is the company that helps like a uh, quality. So that so basically, so you can use an AI to do that instead of a human. Mm-hmm. It's very tedious for a human to click through and like test payment every time you ship a code release. That's interesting. So I assume you have other companies that are AI. They're helping 
different kind of things. Yes, yeah, so this is one AI company. Another one that's also local is a company called uh, Supernormal, Supernormal, which takes uh, notes for you on video calls. Mm-hmm. So like, uh, yeah. Take... How is that different from uh, Zoom Summary? So uh, Zoom Summary is similar. I'd say Zoom is much worse. I'd say the only one that I've seen that even comes close, I'd say, is Microsoft Copilot. Because mm-hmm. obviously they have a very nice partnership with OpenAI. Mm-hmm. So that's nice. But that's only for Teams users. And mm-hmm. um, the beauty of Supernormal is that it works on all platforms. Oh, uh, platforms. So I think that the fundamental problem is that... Over the phone as well? No, yeah, but yeah, I mean, eventually, probably. But to start off with, it's just via Meets, Teams, yeah. and Zoom, right? Okay. The, the main one. And I think that the thing is, like, neither Team, Google Meet, or Zoom are ever going to build mm-hmm. a platform that works on others, because why would they? Yeah, I see. Obviously, we only want to support their own, so... Yeah. Let me ask you this question. How many of the companies uh, within the 54, 53 yeah. Yeah. are AI-related companies? Um... I think I'm like I these two are recent, like, relatively recent ones. So I'm probably like over indexing towards AI, but I, I think that it's it depends a lot on what you mean. So I think um like AI first companies, I'd say maybe fifteen twenty percent. Fifteen twenty. But I, if you if you take any company that has an AI angle, then it would be like ninety percent. Ninety percent. Okay. Depends okay. a lot on where you draw the line. And mm-hmm. okay, depends where you draw the line. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Could you give me some more example? It's very um, companies, oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, sure. So another company we, we invested in relatively recently over uh, the summer is a company called Jellatech, mm-hmm. which is doing, it's a biotech company based in the US, but with a Danish founder, which is widely involved. Mm-hmm. And they are doing um, like specific protein production using animal cells that are grow in labs. Okay. So right now, if you have, so proteins are like molecules, lots of different molecules that are mm-hmm. called proteins. Some proteins are quite small, yeah. but most of the proteins that we use in our bodies yeah. are relatively large because mm-hmm. we, are, we are mammals and we have like mammalian cells, which are really large. Mm-hmm. And if the proteins become too large and too complex, mm-hmm. the only way to really produce them is by using animals or animal cells. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's, no, there's no way to produce them chemically in a lab, but there's also no way to use a popular method right now, which is called fermentation, which is when you use yeast cells to produce them. Like insulin is produced using yeast cells. But... Um, uh, most proteins that we use are too large or too complex for, for doing it that way. So the only way that we currently know how to get hold of protein, let's say collagen, which is a very useful protein for a bunch of different things, uh, is to basically mine it from the, the bodies of, of animals. Okay. So the way we get hold of collagen right now is that we like uh, take uh, you know dead cows or pigs or, or actually even human cadavers, cadavers if we need human collagen, mm-hmm. and we basically take the skin from them and then we refine it down to get collagen, which is in many ways like relatively primitive as a method because... You have to take like uh, lots of bodies, obviously. This is like uh, growing lab, lab. So this is basically just doing that by using it in a lab. Exactly. Yeah, so like a lab, and you, lab. So a little bit like meat, but much more pure because you use it for medical usages mm-hmm. and you want to like one specific Because yeah. if you're using meat, then it's like all kinds of proteins, right? Mm-hmm. Like meat is like much more complex in some sense, but also more, uh, it's mostly just about getting biomass. I see, I see. So could you mention like uh, some other companies that are part of your portfolio that like uh, that are very interesting? Sure. Yeah. So another company that's actually being advised by one of our Swedish collective members is a company called Francis, mm-hmm. which is basically kind of rethinking from scratch how you do kind of financial work for startups, so like budgeting, financial work for uh, startups, anything that you would like, normally like admin kind of things, like, like on the, more on the like financial side. So like what a what a CFO would be doing at a startup, for example. Mm. So when you're early stage startup, you probably don't have the resources to like afford having a CFO. It's mm-hmm. not the first role you would be hiring. Um, so you want to have like a tool that would basically speed up doing the tasks that a CFO would be doing, mm-hmm. like budgeting and forecasting. 
And so they're basically replacing like Excel for that use case. So rethinking how you would use Excel specifically in the context of a CFO type role. Yeah, so, I see, I see, I see. So Danish founders, but they've been in the US. I think actually now coming back to Denmark. Now, mm-hmm. cool. And another one Berlin-based is called Spoke. Wow. Spoke AI. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they are doing um, basically like a consolidated inbox and kind of prioritizer for uh, all your kind of work and communication. So mm-hmm. classic kind of uh, consumer of this would be like a product manager who has a keen track of all kinds of tasks and communication across like Jira and Slack and email and a bunch of other tools. Mm-hmm. Um, and Spoke basically helps aggregate all that into one place, like kind of suggest responses where it knows what the context is behind its own response, kind of pull them together a bunch of different data to help inform the response. Yeah. And also like uh, prioritize what it is you should be reading first. Mm-hmm. So a little bit like this whole AI for work thing, but cross tool. Wow. Which is super nice. So, wow. But Berlin founders are uh, really, really strong as well. Very interesting. Yeah. Very interesting. Uh, what I'm driven to ask you is like about uh, if we if we start like imagining the future, like uh, what we see is that a lot of companies are specializing to help other companies become uh, to to have less work in a way, like yeah. less boring work. Mm. So where is this all this going? If everybody's gonna have uh, their uh, tools for marketing, tools for finance, tools for uh, all kinds of tools that necessarily every company is responsible for. So where is this kind of going, all of this, from your perspective? Given that you have very uh, deep insight into these uh, cutting-edge companies that are helping other companies implement AI tools. Mm. And, yeah. I mean, so, I mean, ultimately, I think, I mean, tools tend to expand, they, they go through waves, right? Like you have waves of people creating more companies that each have their own tools. Mm-hmm. And then you have, once there's some kind of equilibrium reached in a certain area, then there tends to be consolidation and those tools kind of get bought up by existing players or merging between themselves and they become... Not your role. Exactly. Yeah. So, so I think that like the amount of tools, obviously there's, I think there is a limit in the sense of like how much like attention that a certain person has. Mm-hmm. So they obviously can't use an infinite number of tools so that yeah. other tools can't grow exponentially. But there's still like, I still there's still room for like a large amount more of kind of tools, especially when you start doing it more hierarchically. So mm-hmm. certain tools will be automating like fractions of jobs mm-hmm. and certain tools will be automating basically entire jobs. I think. Mm-hmm. And so when you have something that automates an entire job, yeah. then to some extent that tool almost disappears from the mind of a lot of people who might end up being like who'll be using it right mm-hmm. if you have um yeah it's hard it's hard to like kind of visualize what i'm talking about but i think that like there's a lot of different ways for these this expanding number of tools to actually not feel like it's an expanding number of tools right okay. i think that for example if you are a designer mm-hmm. then you're probably used to using a bunch of different tools in your stack exactly and now that you have ai there's a bunch of tools that are going to be added to that like mm-hmm. in terms of image generation and that kind of thing yeah. a lot of those will probably end up in the same tools they already were using before and mm-hmm. there'll just be like ai assistants inside of photoshop or illustrator exactly. or whatever or figma exactly but some of them will be external and added to it mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. But for those designers, this probably means that they'll focus more on those tools rather than maybe other ones. And then therefore, yeah, that's it, that's it. I mean, there's also a level of like just abstracting things away. I think that there's room for, especially when there's a bunch of AI tools existing and kind of proliferating right now, there's room for people who are doing specific jobs to 
basically run consultancy type models where they're doing the job of many other people, mm. but they can charge the full value of that, mm. that automation by doing it as a consultant. Okay. Because I think like if you're an individual, like, let's say you take the designer approach again. If you're a designer who's working for a large company and you get access to a bunch of tools that like increase your productivity by like a 10x, right? Yeah. Your salary probably isn't going to increase a lot. In fact, your salary might decrease. Because Why is that? Because there will be automation happening, which means a bunch of designers are entering the job market and there's much more supply as it's, it's designers yeah. and there'll be like a lower salary, right? Yeah, I see, I see. So, But if you switch to a consultant model where you are doing the equivalent work of 10 designers, then it's much easier for you to charge some multiple of your uh, previous salary. Okay. And I think that that is what also tends to happen when you get like this massive productivity increase from one day to another. Yeah. So like there's a way to profit from that easier if you then abstract away. Because from the company's perspective then, they don't need to think about buying more tools. They don't yeah. buying design services. They yeah. just happen to get more of them for less. This seems kind of relevant to the older customizable GPTs that are coming out. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so like... Uh, and I assume you are updated with all the with the updates and uh, so like for example, if every every single person is able to create their own GPT for whatever <laughs> purpose they want, mm-hmm. like uh, um, uh, yeah, how, how will how will the next generation of of uh, startups look like? You mm. know. Um, yeah, I mean, a lot of startups that were started, like, in the last year, kind of, I mean, continuously been dying every time, like, OpenAI or one of the other giants. Really yeah, I've heard about that, yeah. So there's a lot of GPTs that basically were an entire startup, like, thousands. Yeah. So it is difficult. I think the the key is to, like, just, as always, like, find a niche, serve that niche, and think about the way that you can defend yourself long term. I think in many ways, as I said before, a lot of the time you don't have to defend yourself long term. Like yeah. the the classic example is like, I think PDF.ai or something or ChatPDF, mm-hmm. I think it was called. They got like, you know, hundreds of thousands of paying users and had like an ARR of several million. Mm-hmm. Uh, and obviously their startup was like copied completely by OpenAI or like OpenAI's ChatGPT. Mm-hmm. They gave that out, out of the box just a few months ago. Mm-hmm. And many people are saying that like, oh, the startup then died, they killed that startup. But the dude who built that did not spend a huge amount of time building it, and he earned many millions of dollars during the year when he, he was in front of OpenAI. So it's still a huge success. Mm-hmm. It just means that he, he probably wasn't a VC backable business, but that's mm-hmm. fine. Like he has still probably made like a life changing amount of money, mm-hmm. and he still has a bunch of customers who don't bother switching because mm-hmm. switching suppliers is always a pain. So mm-hmm. a bunch of the hundred thousand users he has probably will stay with him anyway, at least for for a while. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I think there's a balance. If you want to make a billion dollar business, then obviously you need to figure out a niche that OpenAI isn't going to be able to compete with somehow. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of different ways to do it, but it's really hard. But if you just want to make a life-changing amount of money, then like starting a random app that OpenAI will copy in six months is fine, as long as you can scale it fast now and, and cash in on as much as possible in the six mm-hmm. months when you have it. Before it before before like, help you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and lastly, maybe, what's your take on the... Um, OpenAI creating the AGI, uh, yeah. Like where was so, the like the AI sort of like uh, I think Sam Altman said like uh, you know I'm not sure if we're creating a tool or a creature. I don't know if you heard that talk. Uh, yes. Uh, so you know the the AI is uh, getting out of hand. It's sort of like uh, bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. 
so how will how will the future with AGI look like? I think um, I think it's almost impossible to predict what thing what the future looks like after AGI. Mm-hmm. I think everything becomes extremely weird and hard to predict. Mm-hmm. I think it's almost impossible. Like, mm-hmm. I think there is a significant like. I think the the vast majority of like I think it's very likely that we're going to be fine, but I think there's still a significant probability that we end up in very bad situations of like you know AGI existential risk and that kind of stuff, which mm-hmm. we're really worried about. Still think existential risk, uh, as in as in like AI annihilating. AI annihilating. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So as, and I think that's worth taking seriously and thinking a lot about and spending a bunch of money on trying to make sure that we can solve the technical problems that are required to be solved for alignment. Like yeah. there's a bunch of problems there that we haven't solved yet and we don't know if they can be solved or how, how long they take to solve. And it's mostly, I mean, like uh, the OpenAI is pioneering of their way to AGI. Yeah. Um, do, do you see any other company pioneering their way? Like Yeah, yeah for sure. I mean, everyone, like there's a huge race. So I mean, race. OpenAI is definitely ahead, like the furthest ahead, but Anthropic is not very far behind. Mm. There's a bunch of other ones after Anthropic, like, I mean, Mistral is up there from Europe. Where does get Google and Microsoft stand in this? Yeah, uh, I mean, Microsoft well. isn't really doing anything internally themselves. No? I mean, they have their own labs and stuff, but they're way behind everyone else. Mm. Uh, Google is, is like, got great talent, mm-hmm. and they have made good models, like Bard and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. They're still very far behind, and they haven't been good at commercializing things. Yeah. They seem to have a serious cultural problem in terms of, like, how to do commercial research okay okay um, and musk and grok and i think that's not very good at all i don't know particularly serious i think uh it's a uh, it's fine it's just not very yeah i see i see not good i mean apple apple is like a massive unknown i massive mean unknown. yeah i think it's possible i mean they have the money and potentially the talent although i think that's unknown like whether they have the real talent for doing large language models i don't know maybe it's possible that they're just like sitting on the oranges and waiting for things to stabilize and then maybe they'll release like the best model ever and everyone will use it. I don't know. Some people think that. Yeah. I am skeptical. I think they're in a similar boat to Google on this. Mm-hmm. But maybe I'm wrong. They've been very, they obviously built all the M, M chips have been super um, ahead of their time in terms of like having M like, chips, uh, like the M3, the M1, the M2. Like the uh, their own their own Apple Silicon, mm-hmm. they've got their own like architectures in there. That, that I mean, the neural neural engines they have there, they've been planning this like for a very long time in advance, right? Like neural engines, neural engines okay. that are part of the M chips. So that's like super optimized for being able to host and run machine learning models, mm-hmm. especially transform architectures. That's yeah, super yeah, good for yeah, it. So yeah. so the, and uh, like chips take like many 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 years to build, which means that like they have been very like uh, had huge amounts of foresight in that specific area. Yeah, it's, so, and that's, that's, that's their competitive advantage. Yeah, well, I don't know if it's competitive advantage. It's just like, it's interesting that they were so ahead of their time when it came to building machine learning optimized chips, but then completely failed to build anything useful mm. when it comes to Siri. I mean, Siri is a complete joke. Right? <laughs> Compared to... yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm not an Apple user, but uh, Siri is still a thing, like on iPhone. Right? I mean, honestly, like <laughs> Google, uh, like what's it called? Um, uh, Google Assistant is also pretty bad, mm-hmm. to be fair, right? Yeah. Like, it's better, definitely. Yeah. But Siri is like comically bad because <laughs> as of like a year ago, like, it's yeah. terrible. Yeah. Like, it's crazy that it's this bad. Like, <laughs> <laughs> given that they have this uh, M chips and. Given that they have the M chips and given that, like, 
even the shittiest Llama model is significantly better and more useful, right? Yeah. yeah. And it's open source. It's available for free. Like, yeah. Someone at Apple could probably play, take like two weeks mm-hmm. to and to run Llama locally on your phone and it would be better than Siri, right? Mm-hmm. That's crazy. Yeah. Like, that, that's, that's wild. That's pretty wild. Yeah. yeah. And they haven't done it. But yeah. w- what do you think like uh, the new generations of iPhones that they will have something along the lines of like, you know the movie her uh where they can just like a i mean it's it's kind of inevitable that everybody will have like a personal yeah i mean i mean but you tried uh, chat gpt what do you uh, yeah yeah it's already and uh, interestingly like I, I started to use that and it started to communicate yeah but like the flaw is that it doesn't remember like if i exit yeah then it doesn't uh, remember the conversation but yeah. soon that 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 feels like a yeah like a click away like a probably yeah, yeah. The memory side of things yeah. i think that it's not trivial because i think that um I think there's a bunch of user interface issues around using language models that haven't been solved yet. I think user interface. Yeah, like which I think AI, OpenAI has solved. Like, no, no, definitely not. Like, I don't think it's solved at all. Like, uh, I mean, having having chats where you go like text in, text out, and mm-hmm. like clarify, answer out, right? Yeah. That's like, I mean, the bare minimum. Like, like that's the simplest possible user interface you could think of for one of these things. And I don't think it's ideal. Like, mm-hmm. let's say you had a language model that could remember all of your everything right like it had long-term memory that worked well mm-hmm. like i don't think it's a simple problem to figure out how you would make let users tell the model what things you wanted to remember and what things you don't want it to remember mm-hmm. you know what i mean, I mean? Sure. Like, like if i'm having a conversation with chat gpt mm-hmm. and it misunderstands something i say mm-hmm. i don't want it to remember that that's completely useless information that it's being mm-hmm. stored then and maybe it's going to be more likely to because that's the user that. interface yeah so how do you figure out like how do you figure out how it figures out what to be remembered and what not to be remembered mm-hmm. and how it communicates that to me? How do I know what it has decided to remember versus not? Mm-hmm. Uh, is there certain things that I've told it? Like, I, I guess in the browser, you have like incognito mode versus regular browser mm-hmm. mode. That's like a user interface issue that took several years for browser companies to figure yeah. out like, quite a long time. Mm-hmm. I think there's like thousands of user interface issues like mm-hmm. that that we need to figure out when it comes to like talking with large language models yeah, you know, I, think that, I, I think we've barely started like see, see. the chat and the voice interfaces they're not something yeah. yeah yeah i don't think that's the way we'll do it like yeah and we probably will speak for them i think we will definitely be talking with them and chatting with them mm-hmm. but i think we will be doing it in a much more nuanced and convenient way than the way we're currently doing it i see, I see. all right well, thank you so much for coming by. Well, no worries. I really yeah. appreciate it. Thank talk. you. And uh, we'll keep in touch. Yeah, no worries. Cool. Well, thank you. <laughs> cool. Uh-